the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. So far this week, here on Way of Grace, Pastor Jessica Stand has been exploring Luke chapter 13, verses 1 through 9, a message he's entitled, The Just Grounds for Men Perishing. And indeed, there are great justifications for those who refuse the grace of God in Christ. It is a prayerful petition for patience that we focus in on today out of verse 8 of Luke 13. Join us there as we will also spend some time in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 1. Here's Pastor Jessica Stand with today's broadcast of Way of Grace. To bear fruit is not an option. Everything is provided. I'm, re- I'm recalling how that the Lord had given a parable of a call of a feast in Matthew 22, and he made everything ready for the feast. And the people still wouldn't come. Subpoint B, I call this the mystery of what? Stagnation. The mystery of stagnation. And the reason why is because in our context, the Lord is allowing the fact that this, this fig tree that's not bearing fruit to remain a mystery. So you and I can work through how it is in this account, in this narrative, that the owner who expects that tree to bear fruit is disappointed. And how do we make an application from it to us? Here is the mystery. The mystery is you and I can be called by God's grace. You and I can have a profession of faith. And somewhere between your heart and God's heart, there's a breakdown. And you can't blame it on anything external. And at a certain point, it's you and God. You got to stop blaming everybody else. At a certain point, it's you and God. At a certain point, it's you and God. And you got to stop blaming it on everybody else. Because everybody else got the same Bible you do. And they are sitting under the same teaching that you are. And they're sitting under good teaching, sound teaching, thorough teaching, accurate teaching, comprehensive teaching. You're not under slouchy teaching here. You are inexcusable in terms of knowing sound doctrine. And doctrine, that's sound. That is, you know the truth propositionally and you're called to live it out. We compel you to live it out here. We compel you to make your calling and election sure. Do we not? We compel you to make sure you know Jesus. That's what we do. That's what we do. I wake up every day under the burden as the pastor of this flock to have to answer to God for you. But there's a sphere in all of our life. There's a dimension in all of our life. Listen to me that I cannot enter into. Are you ready? I can't enter into your heart and save you from you. And neither can you of me. 
All the preacher can do, all the teacher can do, all the mother can do, all the father can do, all the brethren can do is live out the gospel before you and try to be faithful in declaring it to you. Do you hear what I'm saying? Do you hear? That's what we are in our account. That's exactly where we are in our, and what is the mystery? It blows me away when I think about, I'm just going to share with you one example. You know who comes to mind about a person who has come so close to the kingdom and missed it by a million miles, who was without excuse? His name is Gehazi. Don't ever forget that name. He was the servant that hung out with Elisha. And I'm just going to walk you through the account because I want to get to point number four and shut it down. Gehazi had an opportunity with one of the greatest prophets in all of Old Testament Israel. He was his protege. He was the next in line. He was the servant that watched Elisha do more miracles than Elijah, Elijah who was his, his uh, predecessor. And, and, and Gehazi was given three assignments. And this is remarkable because I know what Elisha was doing. He was testing him to see whether or not his heart was with Elisha. The first test he gave him was in 2 Kings 4 when the Shunammite woman who had borne a child because he had loved on the prophet. Remember that? And the prophet said, you'll have a son. The woman had the son. The son grew up and the son got sick and died. And she called on Elisha to come down and heal him or do whatever you're going to do. Elisha said to Gehazi, here, take my staff and go lay it on the child and the child will recover. Gehazi took Elisha's staff and lays it on the child. The child didn't move. That child remained as dead as a doorknob. He goes back and he says, master, I did what you said. It didn't work. Signal number one. Elisha knew that there was something missing in Gehazi. So what does he do? He goes and lays and straddles the boy himself. And as a great picture of Christ, he dies in his place and the life is given back to the boy. Account number two. Right in the same chapter, the sons of the prophet in chapter four have come into the life of Elisha and they are at um, somewhere like Gilgal and there's a dirt in the land. And they sit on a big pot to eat food. Remember? We talked about this a few weeks ago. My old message called what? Death in the pot. And the text says in verse 38 of chapter 4, And one went out into the field and gathered wild gourds, his lap full. This is Gehazi. In that mystical terminology by which what God is doing is showing you, showing you this. You shall know them by their fruits. Now, Gehazi goes out and gets wild gourds. He is the direct cause of the sons of the prophet getting sick on the food they ate. So much so, they cried out what? Death in the pot. Signal number two. Gehazi had no power in him. Gehazi had no discernment to determine what the true gospel was from false gospels. He had went out to the secular world and gathered all of the, the vines, carnal dead vines of men's doctrines and men's teachings and fed them to the people of God. But the people of God are sheep and they can discern when they're not being fed sheep food. Did you get that? He says, signal number two. Okay, okay. Then we get to chapter five and here comes Naaman. Remember that? He's a leper. And Elisha tells 
Gehazi to tell Naaman, you got to dip in the Jordan. But if you're going to be cleansed, you're going to have to meet Jesus. The Jordan represents the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Well, after a bunch of, you know, ruhaha, ruhaha, he what? He does it. He's healed. And he wants to give Elisha a bunch of money for what he had done. Now, the servants of God are not only ethical, they are wise. I'd rather get paid from God than you, than to have you to pay me for what I do and tell people it got done because you paid me. So he sends him down the street, and guess who jumps on his camel and starts riding after him? Gehazi. Do y'all remember that? Hey, 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 name it. Hold on, hold on, hold on. How you doing, man? My master, really, you know, man, he, he was tired. He was tired. You know, you know that money you wanted to give him? Give it to me. Right? Give it to me. And Gehazi, Gehazi goes back to headquarters. And Elisha says, where you been? See, that's how God does it. He's a seeking God. And you know what Gehazi said? Nowhere. Now he's a liar. He's a covetous man. He's an undiscerning man. He has no virtue in his life. And he's a liar. He has no fruit. Did you get that? You know what Elisha did? He said the leprosy that was on Naaman is going to be on you. And you're going to be a sign and an omen to everybody that you were a false prophet. You got it? Got the lesson? Here's my point. As point number three made it very clear, failure to bear fruit is what? Not an option. Point number four blows me away. Look at what it says over in verse eight. Are you there? In our text, I'm at chapter 13, verse eight. I want to quickly get to this because this is what alarmed me. And I said, Lord, have mercy on me. Because see, right here, I'm in trouble. I'm going to show you what I mean. So the owner came to the vineyard looking for figs, found none, and he said, cut this thing down. And he, answering, said unto him, Lord, who is the he here? The dresser. He said, Lord, let it alone this year also until I dig about it and dung it. Here's what he said. And if it bear fruit, well, if not, after that, do what you're going to do. Do you know what we have right here? We have in point number four, a prayerful petition for sustained patience. And it struck me like lightning. The attitude of the dresser must be the attitude of the owner when the owner is ready to end a non-productive tree. Now, let me talk to you just a moment in closing. The dresser can be any one of us who are called to ministry anywhere at any time dealing with anything that would be God's product. From time to time, we are all doing ministry here in Yon. Parents, you are a vine dresser to your kids. Teachers are vine dressers to their students. In the church, we have a lot of ministries where you end up being a vine dresser in the fruit, in the context of that ministry you are engaged in. How many of you guys follow me right now? 
Right. So, so I just want to show you by way of application that you should have the same heart that this individual does. Why? Because it's not your vineyard. It's not your tree. It's God's tree. It's God's vineyard. It's God's reputation. It's God's glory that's at stake. And what this vine dresser now discovers is he has an option to demonstrate that his heart is like God's heart or he's just a hireling. Anybody with me in the house? We've already seen how God labors, how God toils, how Christ died, how Christ rose, how Christ lives, how Christ rules, how Christ reigns, how God shows patience. And shall we not be the same way with God's own work? Anybody with me? Here's how the, the point goes, and I want you to grasp it. Point number four has several subpoints: The attitude of the minister. You got it? The attitude of the minister. What is the attitude of the minister? Lord, don't cut it down. Don't cut it down. In other words, the attitude of the minister should never be, send them to hell, Lord. Send them to hell. Let them go their own way, Lord. Let them perish, Lord. It should never be that. See, your and mine, particularly if you're in ministry, you must have the heart of God. You must have the patience of God. You must be concerned about the glory of God. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about God's glory. And don't we know a God of last-minute mercies? Does anybody know a God of last-minute mercy? Don't you know a God who knows how to show up at the last minute. In fact, I know a God who knows how to raise people from the dead past the last minute, after the last minute. He can go in the grave and call a dead man out. Therefore, I have no excuse but to be patient. Sub point A says the attitude of the minister. Second Timothy chapter 2, 24, and then chapter 4, 2. You guys already know it there. The minister must be patient. He must be gentle. He must teach with all long-suffering and doctrine. Peradventure, God might grant them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. Is that right? You and I don't never know. We don't ever know when God might turn a person. We don't ever know when God might turn a person. Am I, am, am I boring you? Can I finish? Point number two, not only is God calling you and me to the kind of patience that actually reflects God's nature, but for some of us, he's calling us, calling us to an activity of ministry that is arduous in nature, the activity of his ministry. Will you notice what this vine dresser says? He says, let me do what? Let me dong it. Let me work this thing. Is that what he said? Do you understand donging means going around the tree? and breaking up all of the dirt all around it, taking out the rocks and every alien thing around it, and then sowing into the soil, dung, manure, to irrigate it and to enrich the soil and give it every opportunity to bear fruit it can. And that corresponds to the right attitude of the ministers of the gospel. Men and women who care about eternity-bound souls will pray they will preach, they will teach, they will exhort, they will encourage, 
They will warn. They will warn and pray and teach and encourage and exhort and warn you and warn you and encourage you and pray and teach and exhort and call on the Holy Ghost to take their little feeble efforts and God do something for that soul. I can't do it. We can't do it. Only God can do it. Only God can reach the heart, the stony heart, the toilless heart. Only God can reach the heart. But he is calling us to coal labor together with him in it. Do you believe that? Second Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1. 2 Corinthians 6, 1. Listen to what it says. Here's what it says about the ministers of the gospel. 2 Corinthians 6, verse 1. It tells us in that context, after Paul has explained what we call the ministry of reconciliation, we then as what? Workers together with him beseech you also that you receive the grace of God not in vain. Think about Paul, how much he labored, how he toiled, how he gave his life. How he gave his life for the souls of men. Are you guys hearing what I'm saying? Is a soul worth you spending that much emotional, intellectual, practical, kinetic energy on? Is an eternity bound soul enough for you to lay down your life rather than take up your life? Are eternity bound souls enough for you to give yourself to God in order that God might through you give himself to them? Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? This is exactly what we are called to when we're up against the reality that we got men and women and sons and daughters and brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers and aunts and uncles who don't know God and could be cut off in a moment. Here's how I close. The attitude of the minister, the activity of his ministry, the answer from heaven. Is that what we have? Look at verse 9. I could talk much longer. Here's what he said. Lord, I know I cannot change your will. You're going to do what you're going to do. I know you're a good God. And I know your patience, your long-suffering, that's the word macromothea. Macro means large. Muthea, thumia means temperature. Long in its temperature. The idea is that the thermometer of God's wrath takes a long time to rise. Anybody with me? God's patience is so slow, it'll cause the wicked to stumble. It's so slow that it's unbelievable to the righteous. When you come to realize how patient God is, it humbles you. How patient he is to you. How patient he is to me. How patient he is to us. Anybody get what I'm saying? That his patience is because intrinsic to his nature is a slow rising of the temperature of his wrath. He's patient. God was patient in the days of Noah while men and women rebelled against God. And yet while God's left hand was holding back his wrath, his right hand was calling sinners to the ark. See, his purpose, 
is calling sinners. His patience is holding back his wrath. That's where you live right now. You and I live between God holding his wrath back and calling sinners to the gospel. Are you hearing me? That's what God is doing right now. An account that the long-suffering of God leads to salvation. Are you hearing me? That's why you and I are breathing every day. Why we're living every day. Why we're living every day. But the husbandman, the vine dresser knows this. There's a time coming when there is no use. Verse 9 says, After I have dung it and labored and toiled, the year later, do what you're going to do, God. Listen to it. And if it bear fruit, well. And if not, then after that, you shall what? Now, I want you to understand the grammar in that text, and I'm done. Literally, the grammar is, if it bears fruit, and if not, you're going to cut it down. That's literally what it says. So let me help you with the tonation there. He does not know if it's going to bear fruit. All he knows is, if it does, then God won't cut it down. But if it does not, here's what he says. This is what we call a future indicative actor. He is not giving the master a command to cut it down. What he is saying is, Lord, you are going to cut it down. And here's the reason why. God does not plant trees that do not bear fruit. Every tree that does not plant fruit, my father cuts down. You guys got that? Every tree that my father plants that does not bear fruit, he's cutting it down. Yes, it was a parable against national Israel, but it's a warning to us who have filled up national Israel and the church today. Because as it was for them, so it is for us. We have been blessed enormously, haven't we? Let me remind you of seven things, and then I'll let you go. Here's what I want to remind you of. The greatness of his mercy and his patience. The greatness of his mercy and his patience. You guys got that? God's merciful every day to us. The celebratory nature of his plan. The gospel is good news. We ought never to have a long face about being saved. The sweetness of his produce. When God saved you, he brought you into the delicacy of his joy and true communion with God. The involved nature of the owner. Have we not seen how involved the owner is in the process of salvation? Involved before and afterwards, even now. The inexcusableness of the barren tree in the vineyard. There is no excuse. It should Watches the goodness of God to warn us. Do you accept that? Isn't God good to warn you? Isn't he good to warn us? And then finally, we are all living on what kind of time? Borrowed time. Borrowed time. Which means one day God's going he's going to call you to account for the time that you and I have borrowed from him. So my heart is now vented in that I have told you 
what I have to tell you. Right, and when we all leave out here today, here's what I will know, and this doesn't give me glee, but I'm glad I executed my calling. Nobody under the hearing of what I talked about today will ever be without excuse. Amen. That'll conclude our time today here on Way of Grace with Pastor Jesse Gastan, the ministry of Grace Bible Church here in Hayward. We thank you for spending time with us. Trust that as you do walk through God's Word with us, you're growing in grace, growing in your relationship with Christ and your love and adoration to Him. As we conclude our time together today, we would like to remind you that if today's broadcast was an impact to you, maybe it really blessed you, or maybe you've got a question or two that to listen to this program again would help out. Well, we have CDs available when you call or write to us, or if you wish, simply stop by our website and download the audio file from the website. Our web address is grace-bible.com. Rather simple. Again, grace-bible.com. Or contact us by phone at 510-886-9782. That's 510-886-9782. If you're writing to us, the address is 22768 Main Street. And that's here in Hayward. The zip code is 94541. Again, that's 22768 Main Street, Hayward, California. 94541 is the zip code. We ask for $5 per CD, or again, as mentioned, simply stop by our website and you can listen to the message in its entirety or download the MP3 version, grace-bible.com. One final note, we're inviting you to join us for worship. Sunday services are at 11 a.m. with Sunday school at 10 a.m. And then, of course, the Friday Bible study at 8 p.m. We'd love for you to stop by and join us for worship, especially if you're not involved in a fellowship at this time. And then, of course, the Friday Bible study. We have folks from all kinds of churches all over the Bay Area joining us at 8 p.m. It's a marvelous time of studying God's Word together as a company of believers. Again, for directions, simply go to grace-bible.com or call 510-886-9782. Thank you for joining us today, and until next time, God bless. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.